Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, and you would, if you'd find the sixth chapter of Matthew as we are going verse by verse through the book of Matthew, uh, we're starting in uh, verse 1 this evening, and I want to thank you for being here tonight. And uh, tonight I want to talk to you about getting back to the basics, and um, whether it's church or sports or work, uh, the longer we do things, the more that we consider ourselves experts. And uh, many times that is true. If you've worked in a job for many, many years, you know the tricks of the trade, as they say, and know those things that help you to work smarter and not harder. Uh, but I think sometimes as Christians and churches, we get, the longer we're saved, this idea that we really become experts. And we forget these simple, basic premises that God expects from you and I. We get too busy listening to the latest advice from the church world experts, or we get too busy listening to how things are should be or could be, and we really just forget the basics of what God has asked us to do. And I believe that if you want to really experience God at work in your life, and if we really want to see God at work in our church, we just need to get back to the basics. And I think Matthew chapter 6 is a wonderful chapter that just reminds us of some simple things, not always easy, but gets us back to the basics in what Christianity, what following God really is supposed to look like. And so tonight, if you would, as we pray, and then we're just going to jump right in. Father, tonight I come thanking you for who you are. I thank you for your many blessings, Lord. And uh, I just, again, Lord, thank you for this morning and, and all those families and kids. And, and, Lord, just the blessing that it was. And I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to make this a place where we not only see spiritual life, but physical life. And, Lord, that we continue to see families of all ages uh, call 10 Mile Home and worship and honor you here. And Father, tonight I ask that the task before me is uh, something that I am unable to do. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak, that you would work, that you would move, and that, Lord, that we would truly understand and love you more as we try to serve you. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus and what he has done for us, and I ask it in his name. Amen. And so tonight, if you're taking notes, and I, I hope that you will, and I always say that, and I know most of you are sick and tired of hearing it, but you ought to take notes for two reasons. And uh, the first is so that you can go back through the week and study and hopefully use it to help you in your walk with the Lord. And two, that you know that I am teaching you not the opinions of Jacob Gray, but the Word of God. And those two things should matter to you and I. And so the first thing that I want to show you from this text is if you're taking notes, we are supposed to be doing good. A simple principle of the Christian faith is we are to be producing good fruit. We are supposed to be doing good works for the Lord. Listen to what it says here in verses 1 through 4 of Matthew chapter 6. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore... When you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. 
Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And this is where I think you really want to focus in on. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. How many of you have ever been to Chuck E. Cheese's? All right. There is, when you walk in at Evansville or wherever you choose to go, there is a glass case and it is considered to be rewards, right? You can walk over there and for 600 tickets, you can get an eraser, right? Those 600 tickets cost you $38, but you got an eraser. And like if you move up to 150,000 tickets or $700 in real money, you can usually get a frog toy that if you push down, it's plastic, it hops, right? And then if you move up another 35,000 points, you usually can find something like a toy that was made with a recycled plastic that spins and light up. And, uh, and that's usually where it goes. And, and then when you get to the 74 million points, you can get something up on the wall that is actually something that you would like to have. Those rewards to little kids are everything, right? It don't matter how much it costs you as a parent, they want that. And I am that parent who's walking around with my kid at Chuck E. Cheese's going, don't put your tokens in there, or now it's the card, because that doesn't even give any tokens, that don't even give any of them things back. You just play that for fun. And we don't come here for fun, right? We come here to get as many tickets as we can for you to get something that's not quite as junky. And what do my kids do? They want to sit on that thing that just goes up and down and sings music and gives them no tickets at all. And then when we leave, they're like, I want the $7 billion ticket toy. I'm like, sorry, you don't have what it takes. And for an adult, we look at them rewards and think, man, that is junk, right? The, the, the rewards there are junk. I could buy that at Walmart a hundred times over for the cost of what I've spent on those tickets. You see, the reward doesn't really mean much. And who gives us the reward in that situation is some person that's working probably for minimum wage and they don't want to be there any more than you do and they're just thankful they don't have to dress up as the mouse. Amen? Right? They're saying, I didn't get that shift this week, so things are good. Right? The reward is not that much. But when you hear in this text, God talks about this and says that he rewards openly. That's a big deal. When the God of heaven who created everything, who spoke the world into existence, who knew you before you were ever born, who loved you and cared for you, who slung the stars into their exact position, who put the moon at just the right distance so that the earth works as it should, who hung the sun at exactly the right spot where the earth doesn't burn up, who told the oceans it can only go so far and no more, who created some of the most beautiful, uh, wonderful things that you will ever see in this world, I want to reward you. You see, that means a little bit more than the $2 toy at Chuck E. Cheese's. And so as a Christian, if that's what God says, I want to know what is expected of me in order to get that reward. 
And what he says is we are to be doing good. But we're not to be doing good to appeal to the people around us. We're to be doing good because we genuinely love God and love other people. You see, we are living in a culture that you cannot do anything kind or nice or sacrificial until you first put it somewhere. You know where that is? Social media. It's like, I don't have my phone, this is a clock, you'll just have to, you'll just have to side with me. It's like, give a homeless person money, snap, right? Look at me, we're, we're helping people, we're helping people put in a roof, 8,000 pictures, hammer, oh, nail, finger, right? You know, that's what happens to me. And I'm not saying that we should not celebrate what we do for the Lord, but friends, we have to be careful that the motive behind why we do what we do is not to appeal to people. And this summer, we're getting ready to do a lot of that. Here in March, we're going to have construction projects and things for our community. Here this summer, we're going to house a hundred kids probably and spend a whole week loving our community. And we ought to celebrate that. And we ought to, 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 to do what we ought to do. But if you are doing that, or we are doing that, because we want the recognition of our community or other people, God says, you've already got your reward. There's not going to be salvations as a reward. There's not going to be reconciliation as a reward. You and I getting recognition for ourselves is as far as it goes. And so God says, you ought to do good every opportunity that you have. You ought to do good to a point sacrificially that it hurts. And you ought to do it even if no one ever notices. And as a church, we have to have that attitude. We're going to love people. We're going to care about people. And we are not going to seek any recognition for ourselves. Now, we cannot control what other people recognize. We cannot uh, control what other people do. And we probably shouldn't be rude about it. And I, I am the world's worst. I am extremely rude when people are trying to be nice to me or try to be nice to our church. I'm like, just leave us alone, Right? We're out here on the hill by ourselves. Leave us alone. And, and that can come across extremely bad as well. Um, and I just have to repent, I guess, as always. As you know, our um, church was, was recognized by the hospital. And uh, we have worked very, very hard to love the hospital and our community. And, and we were all invited to go to that ceremony. But one of your staff members refused to go. Uh, would not go. Absolutely through a fit. And guess what he did? He made a non-Christian who he's worked very hard to love very upset. And guess who that staff member was? It's me. Why? Because I did not want any part of an award service. Now I send the rest of our staff, like a good leader does, right? I'm not going, you have to go through it. But friends, I'm telling you, we have to be very careful that we don't become a church that does things for the wrong reasons. And tonight there will be people over the next few weeks that will want to show up on projects, show up on job sites, because, hey, I want people to notice me. But friends, today I want to challenge this church 
to get back to the simplicity of serving God for no other reason than you love Him and you are thankful for Him. And if they never recognize you, great. If they do recognize you, be humble about it. Be thankful. Don't be difficult. Because look what the reward is here. And your Father, who sees in secret, will Himself reward you openly. Moms, I think that uh, you are probably the group of people that this world devalues the most. Uh, a mom who loves her children and tries to care for them and does these things that the world has said is no longer necessary. There's no recognition there. But I can tell you what. I have sat by over almost, I think, 40 people as they've lost this, left this world. And many of them have been moms. And uh, I can tell you that there's just something about mom. And when a, a son or a daughter buries their mother, they realize that outside of the Lord is the person who loved me first. And most likely loved me most. <laughs> was most likely there cleaning up the puke when I was a kid. <laughs> was changing the diapers, was sacrificing what they wanted and they needed for my well-being. And so today I want you to know the world might not celebrate a wonderful Christian mother, but God sees it. God sees it and He will reward it openly. You say, Jake, I, I don't have any super famous gifts to, to serve God with. Well, maybe you are the world's best nursery worker. Maybe you are the most compassionate person walking through that funeral home line. Maybe you make a wonderful dessert for a family that loses a loved one. You see, all those things that the world doesn't recognize, that the church doesn't celebrate, if you're doing them for the Lord and with the right reasons and the right heart, God is going to honor your sacrifice and your love for other people. And so if we want to be the church that God wants us to be, we must get back into the business of doing good for one reason, and that's for the glory of God. Second thing I want to show you tonight about getting back to the basics from this text is we are supposed to be praying. We are supposed to be praying. Look what it says there in verses 5 through 8. And when you pray. It doesn't say, and if you pray, or if you might pray, it says, and when you pray. It's a given. It is an understanding that that is what God's people do. You shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street. That they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray... Go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. I 
know many of you have heard this quote many, many times from Bill Stafford. But he used to say, never trust a man who prays long before what? Dinner. Because if you've got to get caught up on your prayer time, when everyone's waiting to eat, you're not praying enough alone. If you've got to get caught up on your prayer time when everybody's listening at church, you're not praying enough at home. When you've got to get caught up in your prayer time leading a benediction or some other fancy ceremony, you're not praying enough at home. You see, God says if you want to get involved in the work of what God is doing, you need to get alone with him in your prayer closet and begin to really pray. You know why most people don't pray? Because they've never experienced what it looks like to really pray. Because I'm telling you, when you've got alone with God and you've spent time in prayer and you've seen the Lord work and you've experienced his fellowship, you want more of it. You see, most of us don't want more time with God because we've spent so little time with him, we don't really know him. How many of you have ever been around someone and immediately realized, I don't think I want to be around them anymore? Some of you are thinking, Jake, that's exactly what I think about you. And that's okay. And then there's probably been other people that you have met that almost immediately you said, we're going to get along just fine. Right? We're, we're going to be okay. And friends, what God wants for you is to experience what it looks like to communicate with Him. To have an intimate, personal relationship with Him. You know the thing about intimate, personal relationships, you can't usually have them in a crowd. To have a real, meaningful, one-on-one -on -one conversation, you usually need to be alone. You need to be able to focus. You need to be able to be honest. You need to be able to pour out your heart and soul, regardless of what other people say. I don't know if you know this or not, but from time to time, you've probably met people that had no filter. Right? It didn't matter what they had on their mind, it came out. And I know I have that problem, but it's, sometimes it's like health diagnosis, Right? I have got the biggest infection on my foot you have ever seen, right? I take my shoe off, and that thing has got pus everywhere. It's nasty. It's gross. And you're going, I don't want to know that. That's too much information. That's a conversation for you and your doctor. That's a conversation for you and your wife, maybe. But I don't want to hear that in the lobby at church, right? That's gross, but friends, there's a time and a place, and there is something about when you and God are alone, when you are just listening to him, when he is just listening to you. The Bible says right here that that is when things get done. I believe we ought to pray before our services. I believe we ought to pray before we eat. I, I believe we ought to pray before we go out on job sites. I, I believe we ought to pray for missionaries. But if you really want to be a part of a prayer ministry that reaches heaven and changes life, it is going to start one place and one place only, and that is in your prayer closet, in your time with God. That's all right. You don't have to amen. It's still right. That's what Jesus says here. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. He's saying that this is going to be a problem. There are people who want people to think, oh, they're such a beautiful prayer. They know how to say all the right words. You know what I love doing? And I did it this morning. And I, it, it just, I love finding people that I know have no desire to pray and calling on them. Brandon Henderson, they went like this. Just like that. 
It was like someone had slapped him in the gut. <laughs> One time I was looking over here, and, and Logan Hunt was sitting right back there, and I went like this and got about right here, and he thought he had dodged the bullet, and I said, and Logan, would you pray? By the time I picked on Darnell and other kids, it's in those moments they're going, please don't call on me, please don't call on me, please don't call on me, please don't call on me. And I'm like, that's the one, Lord, right there. Why? Because they don't want to do it for people to hear them. All they're trying to do is get through it without saying saying something that they shouldn't, right? And friends, I'm telling you, if this church wants to be a church that God uses, it's going to take you and I setting alone time to get in our prayer closets and seek the Lord's face. Parents, if you want to see your children grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you need to be praying for them on a regular basis by yourself. You and God. You and God talking about your love for them, your desire for them to be saved, for God to work and move in their life. It's what it says here. Go into that secret place. And the Father who what? sees in the secret place will, there's that R word again, reward you openly. You see, if we want to watch the blessings of God in our life, in our church, in our marriages, we have to have the right heart to do good. We have to have a love for God to get along with Him and to pray. And the third thing we have to do is we need to have our priorities right when we pray. We have to have our priorities right when we pray. And listen to what it says here in verses 9 through 13. One of the most famous passages in the New Testament. In this manner, therefore, pray. O our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors. As we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I believe as a church we ought to pray for the physical ailments of people. I believe we ought to pray for the sick to be hailed. I believe we ought to pray for the oppressed to be liberated. But look at how the Lord tells us to pray. It's completely different than almost any prayer meeting I've ever been to. He starts out by talking about who God is. Hallowed be your name. Lord, we're recognizing that you are God, that you are holy, that you are worthy. And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today, I want to ask you that question. Can you honestly pray, Lord, I don't care what you bring into my life. I know that it is better for me than what I could ask for. You see, I'm not always willing to pray that way. I'm not always willing to pray, Lord, if you see that I need to go through trials and tribulations for your glory, Lord, bring them on. That's not how I pray usually. I pray, Lord, I want you to protect me. I want you to protect my kids. I want you to work in their lives. I want you to bless them. I want you to be with our church family. Lord, I want you to, to be good to us. But yet Jesus says, if God is good, and he's the giver of all good gifts, the Bible said, then I shouldn't have to ask for him to be good to me. I ought to just say, Lord, you know what's best for me. You know what I need. And Lord, just give it to me. It's kind of like when you trust a cook, right? I I don't have to ask certain people what they're bringing. I know they're bringing it. This 
this Wednesday night for dessert. We had Cherry Delight. And uh, if you know anything about me, I love Cherry Delight. It is my favorite dessert. And I don't ever ask the kitchen committee who's bringing Cherry Delight. I know who's bringing Cherry Delight. I know it's going to be good. I know that there's going to be plenty of cherries on it, right? <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. But one time here recently, someone who's supposed to bring Cherry Delight didn't bring Cherry Delight. And I came to that dessert thinking, I don't see something here that I'm supposed to see. I looked up and down the table. I went into the refrigerator. I thought, this is a joke. Someone's hiding the Cherry Delight from me. That's got to be what it is. And for some reason, they thought there was a better dessert than Cherry Delight. No one's perfect. We forget. That's the way it goes, right? But I have never seen that Cherry Delight on that table and thought, boy, I wonder if she fixed it right this time. I wonder if she put the right amount of whatever goes into it. I have no idea. Cherries, I know that. I wonder if it's got the right kind of crust. No, I just sit down and think, that's the good stuff. Why? Because I trust the cook. And friends, in our relationship with God, when we pray, it is time for us to approach God and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust that you know what's best for my marriage. Lord, I trust you, and I think that you know what's best for my children. Lord, I'm going to trust you that you know what's best for this church. Lord, I know that you are good and that what you are going to do for us and through us is for our good. Because the Bible says that, doesn't it? All things work to the good for those who are called according to the purpose of God and who love him. But that's not how we pray, is it? We don't just pray that way. We say, Lord, I want this, and I want that, and I need this, and I need that. And Lord, do this and do that. And what we really need to say is what Jesus teaches us here and says, Lord, I know you love me. I know you care about me. And God, do what is best in my life. Lord, do what's best in my marriage. And Lord, do what's best in your church. See, that's when we can pray with the right priorities and the fourth and final thing tonight we are supposed to be doing good we are supposed to be praying we are supposed to have our priorities right when we pray and in verses 14 and 15 if you're taking notes we will see real results if we are doing these things we will see real results if we are doing these things it says in verse 14 and 15 for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You say, Jay, I don't understand how that is results. Forgiving people on our own is impossible. You say, Jake, that's not true. I forgive people all the time. Have you ever made this statement? I forgave them, but I would never talk to them again if the Lord would let me. I, I forgive them, but uh, I probably wouldn't pull over to help them if they were broke down on the side of the road. Oh, I forgive them. Oh, I forgive them, but every time someone brings up their name, I want to say, do you remember this one time when they did that? You see, friends, saying that you have forgiven someone 
and forgiving someone are two different things. Forgiving someone means like God forgave you. Like it never happened. You say, Jake, that's not possible. That's not, that's not real. That's not logical. You're absolutely right. Unless the Spirit of God does it. And that is why at the end of these three things, we see this overwhelming statement that mind boggles all of us usually. It's because when you and I start seeking to do good without worried about who gets the credit, when we really start to pray God's way, when we really have our priorities right, the one thing that separates the Christian faith from every other world religion is this one simple truth that you will never be good enough to earn God's love. You can't make enough prayers. You can't kill enough infidels. You can't burn enough incense. You can't give enough money. There is one way to be right with God, and that is to find forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Him alone. Him dying upon the cross for sinners, for taking on our sin our shame, and our punishment. And willingly dying on a cross, rising from the dead, and willingly forgive people who don't deserve it. That is the Christian faith. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that you and I can be forgiven of our sins. It is a message unheard of in the whole world. And the number one way that you and I can show a lost and dying world that we really have a Savior who can do that is by what? Showing them that we can forgive others. You say, Jake, but I sure am a good speaker. You can be a good speaker and be a radio host. You say, Jake, I sure am a good singer. You can be a good singer and sing all kinds of devil music and make millions of dollars. You say, Jake, I'm the best church builder in the whole world. You can build great buildings, but they'll never be as great as some of the buildings that have been built. You say, Jake, but I got more money to give to this church than anybody's got in the whole world. That's great, but there's always going to be someone richer than you. But there is one thing that you can show a lost and dying world that cannot be replicated by anything or anyone other than the Holy Spirit. And that is what? Forgiveness. Forgiving people who don't deserve it. Forgiving people who cannot earn it. It is in those moments when you and I most reflect Jesus Christ. You say, Jake, we'll feed the poor. We absolutely should feed the poor. But secular organizations feed the poor. You say, Jake, what we'll do is we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll clothe the naked. You're absolutely right, we should clothe the naked. But friends, there are secular organizations that clothe the naked. You say, Jake, we ought to bring clean water to Africa, and you're absolutely right. But there are secular organizations that bring clean water to Africa. You think of any good deed that the church can do, and the secular world can do it as well. Except for one thing. There is one thing that the world cannot offer people that we can. And that is forgiveness that is the fact that no matter where you've been or what you've done how messed up you are how broken your situation is that there is a God who is willing 
to forgive you. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful I'm forgiven. Well, there's three of you. That's all right. I expect a mass altar call and all of you to get saved. Because if you've been forgiven, you recognize that it is something special. Jesus even talked about that, about the, the man who was forgiven of little and then he went out and wouldn't forgive the debt that was owed to him. Right, and Jesus said, you're going to be thrown in prison and you're going to suffer and serve all of this debt away. Why? Because when we mock forgiveness, we mock the greatest gift that has ever been given. I don't know about you, but there are some things that people are pretty funny about. If you put in brand new white carpet in your house, brand new, we took out all the carpet in our house and put wood, okay? The first chocolate milk vomit, we realized white carpet from an 80-year-old lady that lived here before is not going to work, all right? But if you put brand new white carpet in your house and you invited me over and I came trucking in with my work boots on and mud and junk all over them and you said, please take your shoes off before you come in here. And I said, don't think it will, it's just carpet. You'd be like, what's wrong with you? Right? Or if you had a brand, I'm on a brand new car kick, I don't know why. A brand new car, right? With cloth interior. And I said, I'd love to go to Wendy's and I want to get a Frosty, right? And I got about halfway through my Frosty and said, this ain't no good. I think I'll just throw it on the floor. You'd be like, what are you doing? I'm going to be paying for this car until I die. You're going to treat it like that? Friends, Jesus Christ, I really believe the Bible teaches this, offers to forgive sinners. Is my microphone not working? Is it on? I was going to finish in about two minutes, but apparently I need to preach an hour sermon on forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. I believe the Bible teaches that sinners can be forgiven. And if we really believe that, then the way that we show a lost and dying world is not talking about forgiveness, not writing books about forgiveness, not having seminars about forgiveness, but what? Forgiving others. See, I heard a story the one time about a pastor. He was very successful, and, and this is written in every church book you'll ever read. And he was a great soul winner. Boy, he'd go out and share the gospel and lead people to Jesus and lead people to Jesus. And so the state of the state said, well, we need to get him out of the fishing business and teach other people how to fish. And so they took this fisherman, they took him to every conference they could find, and they said, we want you to tell other people how to fish. And so this man went everywhere all over the world telling people, this is how you need to fish, and this is the bait you ought to use, and this is the time of day you ought to fish. And guess what happened? That guy spent all his time talking about fishing that he stopped doing what? Fishing. And some of us are so busy talking about forgiveness, strutting through, oh, I can forgive anybody, or I am this, or I am that. When God says it's time to do three things, it's time to do good with nothing in return. It is time to pray and seek the Lord's face in private. And it is time to watch that God tells you to forgive the people that you don't want to forgive. And when that starts to happen, and only when that starts to happen will God do amazing things. 
Because outside of forgiveness, everything else is easy. Once you get saved through the forgiving blood of Jesus Christ, it's all just building upon what God's already done. When, when I can forgive someone in my life for hurting me, it's all building upon that. You see, forgiveness is the foundation that our faith is built upon. Found, forgiveness is the foundation that our relationships are built on. Forgiveness is the foundation that our church is built upon. And it is because Jesus Christ willingly was not forced to, was not made to, forgave you and I. And the Bible says when we have been forgiven of much, we ought to forgive much. Listen to these words one more time before I close. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's the positive. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You say, Jake, why don't I ever hear this a lot talked about in church? And this is the reason. Most pastors know that unforgiveness is running rampant in their church and is afraid to lose people. But I believe the second reason is is because as a pastor, it is easy to bury unforgiveness in our hearts towards you. And pastors don't want to deal with it. They don't want their church to deal with it. And so what we end up doing is, as long as we smile when we see you, we forgave you. As long as we'll speak to you in the lobby, we've forgiven you. But the Bible says when we forgive people, we would lay down our lives them we would sacrifice our personal happiness or gain for them there is nothing on this world that I wouldn't give up for my children it wouldn't matter wouldn't matter if it's you wouldn't matter if it's my wealth which I don't have any wouldn't matter whatever it is if it meant my children needing something I'd give it up outside of salvation and friends the question is am I willing to love you that way Am I willing to forgive you that way? Because if we're not willing to do that, all of the other stuff that we do to represent Jesus can be imitated by the world. You know what the beautiful thing about something being rare is? It's valuable. And forgiveness is valuable. It's valuable not only to you who receive it, but it is valuable to those others who receive it. And the world is not going to teach anybody to forgive. The world teaches you to remember it forever. The world says, buy your time and get it when they've got it coming to them. But Jesus says, if you've been forgiven, forgive who? Others. And so tonight, I really believe that if we'll get back to the basics, doing good to bring God glory, to be praying when no one is looking, to have our priorities right when we pray, then we will see real results if we are doing these things. As a pastor, there are two moments that are greater for me than anything else. The first is when someone finds forgiveness through Jesus Christ. There's nothing better as a pastor when someone says, I am a sinner, I'm going to repent of my sins, and I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Nothing better. 
Okay, I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. All right? So, and second of all, when those of us who are saved can forgive others. You know why that's possible? Because in both of those situations, you didn't want it. And you didn't start it. And you didn't do it. It happened from above. And when God does things in people's lives, they are never the same again. I am not the same, not because of this church. I am not the same because Jesus Christ forgave me and forgives me every day and continues to cover me with his blood even though I don't deserve it. And so today I am challenging this church if we are going to go forward and be the church that God wants us to be, are we willing to get back to the basics, to get rid of all the fluff, all the attention, and just return to the one who first loved us. Pray with me tonight. Father, tonight I come to you, Lord, knowing that I'm just preaching your word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And Father, tonight I thank you for Matthew chapter 6 and for putting it where it is and for all that we need to hear. And so tonight, Father, I pray for that individual that's in this building tonight that's never found forgiveness through you. Never truly been born again. Understand what it's like to go from dead to being made alive. And I pray tonight, Lord, that your spirit would convict them and make them who you want them to be through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for our church that you would help us to forgive those in the community, those in our family, or even those among us. Lord, as we have unforgiveness, bitterness, whatever it may be, Lord, that tonight would be the night that we would see a mighty outpouring of your spirit in this place. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be a church that will get back to the basics. And Lord, that you will do amazing things that when we look back and that when the next generation comes, all they can say is, wow, look what you were doing. And Father, I ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.